Well, good morning. It's good to see you, all of you, and Merry Christmas. Have you ever thought and wondered why we say Merry Christmas? Why not Happy Christmas, or Joyous Christmas, or Blessed Christmas? It's just one of those phrases that are synonymous with this time of year. A time when all around us, we see the signs of Christmas. They become apparent in our homes and even on the public roadways and in the shopping malls. We see decorations on lampposts and neighbors' yards, holiday classics blasting from shopping mall speakers, and Christmas movies, which have become so much an annual tradition for so many. Speaking of movies, there is perhaps no Christmas story as famous and quintessentially Christmas as Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. This came from a book that was first published in 1843, and since then, A Christmas Carol has defined the essence of Christmas spirit for millions and continues to be woven into our culture. It is actually from this novel that we get the phrase, Bah Humbug, and why we call someone who's stingy or cranky a Scrooge. And although the phrase has been around since the 1500s, It was a Christmas carol that popularized the phrase Merry Christmas, making it the standard Christmas greeting in the English-speaking world. Just in the past 60 years, there have been over 90 theater adaptations of the book, from one-man shows to musicals to even a Minnesota church's stage production of The Gospel According to Scrooge which actually later became a television special. And those, are, those over 90 adaptations are just the ones that are well known. And speaking of television, there have been numerous films, TV shows, cartoons, spin-offs, and parodies of A Christmas Carol, such as A Flintstones Christmas Carol. The Muppets did one. Sesame Street did one. There was even an episode of epic rap battles of history entitled Donald Trump versus Ebenezer Scrooge. It doesn't end there. Based on A Christmas Carol, there are ballets, graphic novels, video games, podcasts, operas, and radio shows, all based on Dickens' classic, A Christmas Carol. But why is this story so incredibly popular and timeless? To understand this, let me give you a brief summary of the story. Warning, spoilers ahead. A Christmas Carol centers around an old, wealthy, but mean and stingy man by the name of Ebenezer Scrooge, who, for various reasons, hates Christmas. Because of his wealth, he has influence on many around him, especially his clerk who lives in poverty because Scrooge refuses to pay him well, which in turn leads to his inability to pay for a much-needed medical attention for his disabled son, Tiny Tim. On Christmas Eve, Scrooge is visited by the ghost of his old friend and former business partner, Jacob Marley. Now, before his death, Marley was much like Ebenezer Scrooge. He was greedy. He was selfish. And he shows up now having died as a ghost, wandering the world. We know this is fiction, but for the sake of the story, 
he shows up with chains all over his body. It's kind of creepy. And those chains, he explains to Scrooge, were forged himself in life by all of his selfish and evil deeds. He tells Ebenezer Scrooge, and I quote, I made it, link by link and yard by yard, I girded it on of my own free will. And the chains, he tells Scrooge, he must now wear forever in the afterlife because of his earthly misdeeds. And it's also why he now visits his old friend Ebenezer. He wants to warn Scrooge so that he, Ebenezer Scrooge, will not have the same fate. Now to make the warning hit home and to teach Scrooge the lesson, Marley has enlisted the help of three ghosts who visit Scrooge throughout the night. In the book, it says over three successive nights, but when he wakes up after all three have visited, it's the same night. And so we know they all come in the wee hours of Christmas Eve, the morning of Christmas Day. These, these three visitors are the familiar ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, and the ghost of Christmas yet to come. Each revealing to Scrooge what the past and present look like, and in the ga- case of ghost of Christmas yet to come, what the future will look like, should Scrooge refuse to change his ways. In the end, and this is where the spoiler and the timeless popularity of the story come in, Scrooge turns from his miserly ways and embraces Christmas. He becomes someone who is giving, caring, and loves the day. Just like his nephew Fred, who despite constant rejection has invited his uncle Ebenezer to Christmas dinner year after year because Fred is a loving, caring individual and he loves Christmas. In other words, the reason A Christmas Carol is such a powerful story that transcends all time and culture is because it is a story of redemption. It is a story of redemption. And this morning, on this Christmas Day, I want to take a look at the mother of all redemption stories. The story that put any redemption story on the literary radar. The story without which a Christmas carol would not have the same significance. And this redemption story that I want to talk to you about this morning is yours. The redemption story of the Christian, the believer. Like all good stories, a Christmas carol is engaging Because we see it as an outsider. We read it. We watch the movie. We're watching it unfold in another person's life with eager anticipation of what comes next, even when we have watched the movie before. And even when we recount a story of our own experience, it doesn't really sound as exciting or resonate with the same captivation back when we were living it out in real time. It is only after the fact when we have time to think through what happened and pull all the pieces together in a cohesive narrative, does the story actually become, well, a good story? And so this morning, I want to remind you of how great a story your redemption is by pulling the pieces together 
to give you a bird's eye view of what you have and as a believer are currently living out. And I have arranged for uh, sporadic static through the speakers to keep you awake this morning. (laughs) And once in a while, a baby screaming just to get us in the mood of the Christmas story. I'm just kidding. Well, like Dickens' literary masterpiece, your redemption story is empty without Christmas. Like Ebenezer Scrooge, what centers around Christmas in your redemption story is your past, your present, and your future. This Christmas Day, I invite you to rejoice and celebrate not just the birth of Jesus Christ, but your own redemption story as we trace your spiritual journey from Scrooge to Saint and beyond. Let's begin by looking at the spirit of Christmas past. And by spirit, I mean not ghost or soul. I mean the essence and quality. Christmas is a universal celebration regardless of religious observance. Even before I was a Christian, growing up in a non-Christian home, I would celebrate Christmas with my family, with all the trimmings, the Christmas tree, the gifts, the school festivities, the hot chocolate, the family gatherings. As a child, whether you knew the real meaning of Christmas or not, we have all as children folded a white piece of paper and cut random holes in it only to unfold it into a snowflake or pointed out Santa even sat on his lap at our favorite mall. It is a special time of year. It is a happy time of year. And this was true of all of us even before we were saved. The grace of God overflows into culture in celebrating what has at its core a salvation story. And the reason Jesus came was because even in the midst of that enjoyment, even in the midst of the thrill and the happiness and the laughter. We lived in darkness. It's a darkness that people currently walk in, even in the midst of their celebrations and happiness. In fact, we are told of that darkness in the glorious prophecy of the coming Savior in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 2. I invite you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 2. This is a lead-up to what Dennis read for us earlier, a great, perhaps the greatest prophecy of the coming child who would be the Savior of all mankind. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 2 says, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light, and those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. And we know that that light that will be foretold in a few verses is Jesus Christ. But the reason I wanted to come to verse 2 is because we know that even in darkness, we enjoyed our lives. Even in darkness, there are people who enjoy their lives. This is, of course, a spiritual darkness. The Bible frequently describes the world as those who are happily eating and drinking. Life is good for them. In fact, Isaiah 9 goes on to say in the next verse, you shall multiply the nation, you shall increase their gladness, 
not give them gladness for the first time, but increase their gladness. They're already enjoying life. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest. He's comparing the gladness of the coming king to what people enjoy already without the king in their darkness in the harvest. And it ends as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. There is a form of gladness that even those who don't know the Lord have. There's an understanding of rejoicing when they, quote, divide the spoil or essentially share in the fruits of their labor. We see this today. People enjoy good food. They have homes. They go on vacations. They enjoy their lives. And the reason I'm bringing this up is even as we look at Christmas's past, and I don't mean past from before today, but before salvation for the believer and for your current today Christmas for the unbeliever, when we talk about the gospel and we talk about salvation, it's not as if you're walking around in misery. You enjoy your life. And perhaps that is often the most deceiving aspect of eternal life. You see, Ebenezer Scrooge, he enjoyed money. He enjoyed making it. He enjoyed saving it. If you like the spin-off of Scrooge McDuck, he liked swimming in it. In fact, one of the reasons he hated Christmas is because on Christmas Day, nobody wanted to work and people were asking for more things, gifts and money. And so he hated that because he loved money. Really, outside of that one day, he enjoyed life. In fact, I came across a recent article where someone wrote, as an entrepreneur, as a CEO, he said, we shouldn't look down on Scrooge. If you've ever run a business, you should hate Christmas too because people want to work with double the pay and everything gets sidelined. There's no shipments. There's no deliveries. There's no customers. That's the world we live in now. And here's the point. Outside of Christ, our lives were still enjoyable. We had family and friends We enjoyed good food, playing games, stimulating conversation, fulfilling work. And even though we didn't realize it then, it was the grace of God. But as Ebenezer Scrooge's true self is confronted on Christmas Day, which highlights his wrong behavior, so in the midst of our behavior, our normal happy lives, our sin was highlighted by the Christ of Christmas. In other words, only when placed next to the exuberance and joy of Christmas did Scrooge truly realize his dark side. And so it was with us. Only when placed next to our need for Jesus Christ did we truly see our sin. It is often that ability to celebrate and acknowledge the true reason for the season, or even just having convictions about love, fairness, and justice, that mankind is deceived into thinking that everything is okay. What do they have as Christians that I don't? I enjoy the nativity scenes at the front of the local church. I give gifts. I understand that there was a baby born on this day known as the Savior of the world. What's the difference? I believe I want to be fair. I believe I want to love. I love my children. I love my parents. I love people. I fight for justice. 
And so in that mindset, those without Christ can be convinced that they are good people and their lives are good. But you place those lives in the spotlight of the purposes of the Creator and you see how truly stained you really are. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And it is with the very enjoyment of life that we were blinded. Why do I need God? I have everything I need. The busyness of life, the satisfaction of working hard and raising kids makes us feel this way, that we have it all. This was all. This is life's goal. It's fulfilling. This was enough. There is meaning to life, and this was it. But it wasn't until we were exposed to the gospel that we saw not only that there is something more, but what that something more is. And that something was not a certain lifestyle. It wasn't retirement. It wasn't a job well done. It wasn't a legacy through children and grandchildren. That something was a someone, and that someone is what Christmas is all about. It is that someone that brings us as believers to the salvation of Christmas present. See, as believers, we don't just understand the reason for the birth of Christ or merely acknowledge the wonder of His coming. We actively worship the One who came. The light that was promised in Isaiah 9 to shine in the darkness has come. For us, 2,000 years ago, the promise was fulfilled that light was and is Jesus Christ. Isaiah 9 continues in verse 6. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. When you read that verse, it may be easy to picture something that we have all seen in many times in studying world history. A child born to a king perhaps a pharaoh, an emperor, who will one day take the throne from his father. But that's not what's being spoken of here. This is no mere earthly king. See, the titles that we just read in Isaiah 9-6 are not mere superlative terms that mere humans are given. As we've seen in ancient history, there were pharaohs that were called gods. There were pharaohs that were called eternal These are not just titles that would be heaped on an earthly king or even today an athlete or celebrity. These are genuine descriptions of who Christ is. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Not only is this wonderful and unique, it is necessary. It is necessary because of the problem of sin. As God has created all mankind, all mankind has sinned. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And this is a problem considering that we were created by this very God whose glory we all fall short of. This is not just for the career criminals. This is not just for the murderers. 
anything that violates the will of God, the character of God, even a small moment, a flare-up of anger on the 101, or impatience with the kids this morning, anything that violates the perfect holiness of God is sin. And our sin is so great that we could not make it right. We could not become friends again, reconcile with our Creator on our own. No works could do it. We need a Savior. We need someone to live the perfect life that God demands of us for us. Colossians 1.21 says we, are, we were alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. And so it couldn't be another person because any penalty they would pay, any amount of money, any physical sacrifice would only pay for their own misdeeds. We needed, in God's amazing plan, God Himself. That was Jesus Christ who came and was born a baby in a manger on Christmas Day. In John 10.30, he declares, I and the Father are one. And in 1 Peter 2.24, it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And that's what he did. Everything about anyone's life is interconnected, and so it is with Jesus Christ. The Christmas story is connected with the Easter story and the Good Friday story. He came as a baby so that he could be 100% man, so that he could live and fulfill in the human flesh the perfect life that God expects of us that is impossible for anyone outside of God Himself. 100% man He was, 100% God He is, to live that perfect life facing all sorts of temptation but never giving in to temptation, and then dying on the cross and being raised on the third day, proving that He is God and victorious over sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. How? Romans 5, 8 and 9. God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. And I mentioned that very important part that he rose again as believers. We do not worship a dead God. We worship a living God who is at the right hand of, of the throne of God the Father. Many verses, including Romans 4.25, tell us this truth. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. He died because of our sin. He was raised that we might be justified declared righteous in the sight of God. And we did what Romans 10, verses 9-11 through 11 tell us to do. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the Scripture says, Whoever believes in Him will not be disappointed. Today, as believers, we still enjoy many of the things we did in Christmas's past. Family, food, work, life. But now knowing that all good things come from our Heavenly Father. For those who do not know the Lord, those who are not Christians, your Christmas present, literally today, 
but you are still alienated from your Creator. And you enjoy the things of the world that God has granted you, but you can have a different Christmas present even today. You can have one in fullness of joy and reconciliation with your God. Perhaps you are like Ebenezer Scrooge in his thinking, that you don't truly embrace the meaning of Christmas. But you have been brought here this morning by your own version of Nephew Fred, someone who understands Christmas, who loves Christmas, not for the gifts, not just for the family, but because of the Lord Jesus Christ and continually invites you, not just for Christmas dinner, not just for Christmas service, but to celebrate with the true relationship with Jesus Christ. As Christians, we are in the present. And the present involves a constant commitment to His Word in reflection of the reason for His coming, the birth of Jesus Christ. To excel not just on Christmas Day, but every day in light of that birth. We enjoy the decorations. We enjoy the Christmas carols. We, I know my kids did this morning, enjoy the gifts, the smell of pine in our living rooms. But we enjoy this in a special way because we are no longer living in the Christmas past of just being fooled by the enjoyment of the world and not knowing our Creator God. And our Christmas present is not just about the decorations. It's not just about that one day. It's not just about telling people, hey, I know what this season is about. It's not just trying to make a point by saying Merry Christmas instead of Happy Holidays. It is a constant abiding with your Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God and thank you for you believers who this morning posted Isaiah 9-6 as a means of evangelism on Facebook and Instagram. But do you understand, believer, that Isaiah 9-6 is not just for the unbeliever. It is not just for evangelism. It is for you. You live in that reality. You worship that King who has come. And the reality of all of this really hits home in our final point, the security of Christmas future. This is the hope. This is eternal life. This is what gets us through the hard times and helps us understand that we don't have to look at our grandchildren and say, you know, granddad only has a few more Christmases left. As if our time was limited here Our time is forever. Our time with God is eternal. I don't know about you, if you've seen the old black and white version of A Christmas Carol on TV, for me the scariest ghost is the ghost of Christmas future. The one who doesn't speak. It is where death is foretold. It is where he brings Scrooge to not only his own grave, perhaps even more shocking and sad, the grave of Tiny Tim. Scrooge at that moment realizes that that little child had to die because he was stingy, because Scrooge was greedy and wouldn't give what Tiny Tim's father was asking for. In the reality of nonfiction life, we know that there is a future. A future filled with 
much of what we saw in Christmas past, the enjoyment of all the world has to offer. And the future is also filled with what we enjoy today as believers in Christmas present, a joy of serving and worshiping the Lord. But the future is tarnished for the world with inevitable decay and ultimate death. For the believer, the scary reality of Christmas future is replaced in Christ in such a way that the future is not the scariest, but the best part. It is the best part. For us, man's natural fear of death and lifelong pursuit of delaying it as much as possible through diet and exercise and medicine is replaced by a promise of future Christmases in the presence of Christ. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Not just today, because it happens to be a Sunday. Not just tomorrow, because that's the federal holiday. But when you go back to work, and you face the temptations of just shying away from your Christian morality to get that raise and get that promotion. To stand at the proverbial water cooler, whatever, that may, whatever shape that may take today. To gossip and slander and complain about the boss. To be around unbelievers and say, it's really good to be here because, you know, on Sunday my Christian friends... Do you believe this? Do you anchor your soul into the future hope of glory, living for Jesus Christ, knowing that you will be with Him for eternity as you are tempted with sin, as you struggle with the day-to-day, to question God because of life experiences, to challenge God because you don't think you have enough? You want to own a house, not rent. You want a second car. You want an electric car. Now you want a Tesla. Now you want a whatever. Or do you rejoice in what you have because God is good and our purpose in life here is to serve and worship Him, not to do better in the eyes of the world? You see, Jesus came to initiate a plan that ends not with the forgiveness of sins, but of the forgiven dwelling eternally with Him. That famous verse, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. We've quoted it. We've read it. You've been preached it. Have you ever noticed that this most famous verse quoted in regard to the gospel and salvation, says nothing about the forgiveness of sin. It says nothing about a life of worship. It highlights the ultimate end and goal, eternal life. As believers, we rejoice. We rejoice in what was, what is, and what is to come. And it is in this Christmas day, as it was for Ebenezer Scrooge, that all the difference in the world was made. 
For the Christian, the future is bright and glorious. For the non-Christian, the future remains the scariest part. The ghost of Christmas yet to come is the scariest one. But not for Scrooge. Because his story, A Christmas Carol, is a story of redemption. He saw what was to come. He saw the terror of death and the future. And he responded. He responded to what was being shown. And more importantly, most importantly, he responded to what was being offered. Years like this are very special to me. It's a special excitement for me as a pastor, as your pastor, when December 25th lands on a Sunday, when we can be together in a church service, worshiping together on Christmas Day. It's unique. It's special. There's nothing inherently spiritual about it. Then years passed when we had Christmas service a day or two days or three days before actual Christmas Day. There's just something special to be here on Christmas Day together. And as you celebrate this day, take some time to think about the spirit of Christmas past. That even in your alienation from God, He gave you the grace to enjoy life. Perhaps some of the things that you worship Him with now were achieved and granted and purchased before you were a Christian. Your car, your home. Perhaps you had children before you were saved. Even in your alienation from God, He gave you the grace to enjoy life. But in that darkened state, He saved you and brought you into the salvation of Christmas present. A life of freedom from sin and worship of the Lord. A reconciliation with your Heavenly Father and Creator. And when the temptations of Christmas is past, enter your mind. Or the difficulties of living out your faith in this world hit hard. Take comfort in the security of Christmas future. And I would be remiss on this Christmas day to not tell those of you who do not embrace the true reason for the season you have not embraced Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. All of this is being offered to you, not by me, I'm just the messenger, but by God Himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You so much for Your kindness to us, Your goodness to us, that even as we look at our time when we were at war with You, we could enjoy life. And much of that carries over today to today with family and friends. But thank you that we were revealed the gospel, that the blindness that we were once in was removed, the scales fell from our eyes by your grace. I pray that we would be people who do not celebrate what we celebrate today just on this day, or when we take communion, or whenever it may be, but daily, constantly, always honoring you, and understanding the privilege that we have. And may we look forward to the future, the day where we will see you face to face. And Christmas is not a day. Christmas is not a holiday or a celebration. Christmas is a reality, a constant worshipful reality in the presence of Jesus Christ. And for those, of you, those who don't know you, Lord, may you work in their hearts. May they turn to you. 
May you show them mercy and grace this Christmas day that from here on out they would understand and enjoy the eternal promises of Christmas future. We pray these things in Jesus' name.